Welcome to another episode of Before You Kill Yourself with your host, Leo Flowers. I am Leo Flowers. Today's guest is Isabel Benedos, who is the founder of the Bio, Bio Reprogramming Institute and the author of The Bio Breakthrough, Decode Your Illness and Heal Your Life. She created the Bio Reprogramming Method, which is a comprehensive approach based on the science of human evolution and the processes of the mind. Welcome to the podcast, Isabel. Thank you for being here. Thank you for inviting me, Leo. It's a pleasure. So for the listeners out there, can you quickly explain what is bio-reprogramming? So bio-reprogramming uh, means reprogramming your biology. And um, now we have um, very important, um, we made very important connections um, in, in the world. Uh, and doctors are very interested in that at the moment between uh, the emotional conflicts that we can go through in life, which create unmanageable stress and some of the illnesses that uh, we have in our bodies. Um, so we reprogram the subconscious mind, which actually um, is a marvelous computer, which uh, uses our body to express um, solutions, sometimes metaphorically to our um, emotional conflicts in a moment in time. So our emotional stress or perception of what's happening to us can cause illnesses within our body? Yes, yes, because, uh, for instance, we use our mind to think. We have thoughts, we have desires, we gather information from the environment, and we give meaning to our experiences. Sometimes the meaning we give um, is very limiting. It's very stressful. You can imagine, for instance, a man getting fired or um, someone losing their home. Uh, you know, one of those big stresses. Um, what happens is that the subconscious mind, and I'll call it the, the brain, the computer, uh, it needs to keep us alive. It's programmed exclusively in terms of survival, the survival of the species and our survival. So it needs to find a solution to lower the stresses that we cannot manage. Because when we have stresses that we cannot manage, we don't focus on the environment. We could have an accident at any time because we're dwelling on a problem. Sometimes we don't sleep, we don't eat. We stay under the control of the sympathetic nervous system, and this could conduct us to death. So the, the programming of the subconscious is to keep us alive. And to keep us alive, it needs to lower that stress. But the subconscious cannot go in the world and change, obviously, our problems. So it's only going to be able to act on the biology. It only has the biology to express a solution. And what's very interesting is that the information that it gets from the problem we're going through is um, the emotion plus the meaning that we give to our experience. Maybe we feel, oh, I can't swallow that this happened to me, or I can't digest that this happened to me. And um, the organ that is connected to the felt experience is the organ that is going to be targeted to express a solution. Now, I know that the word solution, when we have an illness, feels a little bit um, uneasy, but it actually is a biological solution. It's an adaptation. My body is adapting to the stress 
that is coming from the environment with a process that starts in the subconscious mind. So I want to I want to make sure I'm understanding you correctly. It sounds like what you're saying is uh, emotions plus the meaning we give to what's happening to us. So, for instance, if someone is fired or going through a divorce, or they maybe they lost a limb to an accident, um, and the meaning that they give to it is my life is ruined. It's over. I'll never bounce back. Uh, no girl will ever love me. I'll never get another job. I'll never get married again. So that's the meaning we're giving to it. And then the stress of that shows up and is then expressed in one of our organs, say our heart or our stomach, i.e. chest pain or an ulcer or even cancer. And, and that's our body adapting to the stress that we've put it under, but it all originated from the emotion plus meaning we assigned it. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Well said. It's, um, it's because, um, you know, for any situation that we go through in life, each of us um, is going to ha- give to that situation a different meaning of maybe for me, something is important and it's not that important for someone else. It depends, um, at, you know, it's my level of attachment to something. It's it's what it means to me based on how I grew up, on my programming, on my traditions, religions, um, memories, imprints. So any experience is in itself neutral. But for instance, if a man feels, okay, I'm fired out of the blue. I did not expect this. It's a shock. And he feels in terms of, I can't swallow how they did it. I can't swallow that um, they're doing this to me after 30 years. The, the meaning of I can't swallow this is translated and given, we can say to the subconscious mind, The solution to swallow something can be a tumor, interestingly, because a tumor in the throat, a certain type of tumor in the throat, creates mucus. And so symbolically, that mucus will permit to slide down the morsel that the man who is fired cannot swallow. But that's only because he felt in terms of, I cannot swallow. Another man who is fired could feel more in terms of, I can't digest this. So it, would, it will feel in the biology as though there is um, something big to digest in his stomach. That's the felt experience. And so a cell proliferation in the stomach, in the mucosa of the stomach, is actually the solution to creating more gastric juices. And so the more cells, the more gastric juices are going to be able to digest the morsel that he cannot digest symbolically. Because for the subconscious, there is no difference between real, imaginary, virtual, or symbolic. If someone feels I can't digest something, for the subconscious mind, there is a morsel, actually a real morsel. It's felt as if there is a real morsel in the stomach. Because after years of evolution on the planet, our organs have evolved. And they have evolved based on our needs. We were first unicell organisms in the ocean. And we had gills to be able to breathe. Uh, We were semi-aquatic creatures. And then one day we became terrestrial. So the need created the organ. Then we created the lungs. So we see throughout evolution that the, the transformation of an organ 
or the creation of an organ is based on adaptation. I adapt because there is a need outside in the environment. It is the same today because we still have the memory of all those potentials and all those adaptations we went through over millions of years of evolution. So today, uh, for example, if a woman feels I can't protect my child who is at the hospital with leukemia, that could be an example. She wants to take care of the child, but she feels powerless and super stressed. Um, the only organ that can take care of the baby symbolically is the breast. So she could start multiplying cells in her breast because more cells create more milk symbolically. Symbolically, I want to feed my baby. And that could result into a breast cancer, for example. So it's very interesting because it's almost um, we could say we create super organs or we enhance our organs through cell proliferation. That's for cancer. Um, there are multiple other illnesses, but for cancer, it, it's, it's easy to understand it when we talk about cancer. A, a cell proliferation is an enhancement of the organ. It's a turbo function of an organ. And in a short amount of time, someone will um, you know, create um, a tumor to provide a momentary solution. And for as long as the conflict is not emotionally resolved, then the solution continues. And that's how you can see miraculous healings sometimes when someone um, has a solution that's coming to them. Let's say we could say the man was fired. Uh, now, you know, there's an apology and they hire him back or the, the child at the hospital for this woman uh, is now waking up and the illness um, is improving and she knows he's going to be able to heal. There is no need for the illness anymore. Uh, the shock is gone. The solution has come. And so that's how you see spontaneous healings. Uh, and, and yes, it's really fascinating because could our illnesses simply be or represent a momentary adaptation to a problem that we cannot solve? You know, this really resonates with me because, you know, as you were talking earlier about reframing the meaning, when for myself, there are times where I think about feeling like I have the weight of the world on my shoulders. And mm -hmm. I could imagine that translating into back pain. If you feel like you have the weight of the world on your shoulders, then paradoxically, you're you're then going to visualize the weight of the world on your shoulders and walking around with that. And I mean, how, how tall are you going to stand if that's your kind of thinking? Um, and so if someone were to reframe that in a way that empowered them, like the example that you gave with the mother breastfeeding, like I want to feed my baby. So now she's able to produce milk instead of, you know, cancerous cells. How would someone reframe, uh, you know, I have the weight of the, the world on my shoulders or things just feel overwhelming for me. Yes, yeah, so that's a very good example. I have the weight of the world on my shoulders. Uh, it's uh, symbolically, I'm I'm the mule, right? I'm carrying everything. Um, so maybe it means uh, I'm going to look into, am I um, looking for help or asking for help when I need? Uh, what am I expressing uh, that maybe belong, belongs to one of my parents, because interestingly, we reproduce programs that belong to our parents. You know, when we are in the womb, we're actually downloading the parents' emotions, fears, conflicts as well. So am I reproducing something that actually does not belong to me? 
And um, so in terms of the reframing, we would first see if it's true. Is it a distortion? Is it just your perception? Or is it true that um, you have so much to carry? And then um, what makes you uh, symbolically stay in that situation? What makes you choose that direction where you have so much to carry? And then how can we change that with the reframing or with um, solutions that you haven't seen? Because maybe it's your program to do that. Maybe you're doing it. It could be uh, when you were a child, um, you know, um, your father was doing way too much. And then um, you picked up on that and you are recreating that. Or it could be for someone else that, um, you know, the, a sibling was sick and then they felt that they had to help and it was too early in their lives. They were children. So a child becoming an adult too early and helping the parents. So we would dig into the past. We would look at where did that start actually? And what is the program that you're recreating? And does it really belong to you? Or do you need to continue with it? That all connects. I definitely was a child who had to become an adult too quickly. I've always had a job since I was nine and felt like I had to take care of the family. Uh, one of the things you, you mentioned that I'd really love to dig into a little bit is you talked, you used the word symbolically. Like, what does that mean symbolically? And you're distinguishing that from meaning. Can you talk to us more about what you mean uh, in terms of symbols or symbolically? Yes, um, that's a very interesting part when we dig into understanding the subconscious mind. So the subconscious mind wants to conserve energy as much as possible. It does not have time with content. So you see, um, consciously right now I'm talking, I'm giving you content and you, you're answering and we're able to listen to content. We're interested in it. Our subconscious mind is just waiting for information that is more based on our emotion, our emotions. Um, it wants to conserve energy. So it loves symbols. Symbols contain a maximum of information on a minimum of data. If I, if I show you the American flag, uh, your brain instantly knows, okay, well, that contains all those states, um, et cetera. You, you, you already know uh, because just by looking at the flag, you see the history. Or if I tell you my neighbor looks like a toothpick, in one instant, you go, okay, her neighbor is skinny, <laughs> right? So it's a metaphor um, and it's quick. And um, the subconscious mind is archaic millions of years of evolution, it hasn't evolved very much. There is actually a big gap between our conscious mind and our subconscious mind. So when um, when the subconscious is programmed exclusively in terms of survival, it needs to act very fast because if there is danger in the environment, it cannot think. It needs to calculate time and space very quickly. Um, and record the metaphor of the problem very quickly to find an immediate solution to the problem. That's why when you have a projectile coming at you, you save yourself in a moment. You save yourself before you even think. So the reason why uh, metaphors are what the subconscious absorbs, it's because it's a gain of time in energy. And so the emotion is a great um, you know, information because I feel something. I feel I have a fear. I'm not meeting my needs right now because let's say like the example we had, I got fired. Uh, so I'm not meeting my needs. 
the brain does not need to know the content of all the story. It needs to know um, what the fear is connected to. It means it needs, needs to act very fast to help you. And there is a syntax. What is the syntax? What is the metaphor? Uh, my emotion is I can't um, digest. Plus, um, I um, it's, it's a situation where uh, it's creating an unmanageable stress for me and I can sleep at night. Okay, so let me provide a solution for you, for you, uh, so that you can start digesting right now. And that's how an illness can start. Wow, that, that's powerful. And that absolutely makes sense. I love the use of the flag as a symbol. And you're right, when we see these certain symbols, um, that it generates a quick emotion, whether it's peace and safety when you see the flag or fear. Uh, you know, like when you think about like the the pirate's flag on a ship, you're like, mm -hmm. uh oh, th there's danger. Yeah. Um, and, and so we, are we, cre can we create these metaphors for ourselves, um, intentionally? And I, I'm, I'm asking because I'm thinking about just my listeners who might be listening and thinking about ending their life. Uh, are there metaphors that they can create or reframe so that the, the, the flag isn't the, the pirate flag, it's a, it's a white flag or, you know, a flag that makes them feel safe? Yes, yes. Um, so it's it's so important what you said because, um, for instance, someone finds out they have cancer. That could be a reason to say, I don't want to stay alive. Or an illness, MS, um, something difficult. Or simply they're depressed. Um, by the way, um, an emotion of deep depression um, deep pain, deep melancholy is often rooted in how we were born. If we're not wanted by mom and dad, symbolically, it means I'm born to die. They didn't want me here. So it's possible to carry um, almost a loyalty to mom and dad who did not want me. And that connects with the conflict related to societal uh, I'm told unconsciously that I shouldn't be alive and I'm running on that tape. I'm running that imprint. And sometimes I don't even know why I feel that. Um, so it's important to look at, let's say you're talking about reframing. Well, let's say mom and dad didn't want me. That's possible, right? I need to change my belief at a deep level about the role of mom and dad. Who are they actually? Are they everything? Do they have all the power as parents or are they just, and I don't mean just in a, in a devaluating way, but in, in context, mom and dad, maybe they are a vehicle that permitted me to enter this planet. What if my purpose in being here is way superior to using my mom and dad who gave me life? And what if I have a purpose that is so important that I can actually bypass my parents in terms of what they wanted? And this goes for, you know, when we were put down as children or told that we were nothing. So if you start reframing it and realize, well, actually, I'm here, so I must have a purpose. And what is my purpose? If I would define my own purpose, going to my own emotions and really feel actually if I had a magic wand, what would I want to do in my life? And I'm the creator of my life. 
then maybe it doesn't really matter if my parents didn't want me. Maybe I chose to come uh, with challenging parents, but in fact, I'm meant to live. I'm meant to be alive. That would be a reframing um, that I would use to help someone who feels that way. Now, if someone has an illness and, and it's hard and debilitating, First of all, they could decide, and it all starts with a belief system. How do I know that this will not get cured one day? How do I know that um, I'm definitely going to get worse? I, I don't. Um, I don't know that. What if I adopted the belief that it's possible for me to heal? What if I adopted the belief that there's a purpose to this and maybe I'll help others later? You you know, there are so many of my clients who, who healed something and now they're helping others. So at, at the root of um, changing this uh, feeling of um, I, I'm not supposed to be here, there is a, a change of belief system. What is the belief that makes me feel this way? And that's where I would start always. What do you believe about your situation is what I would ask. I love that. What is the belief that would make me feel this way? What's the backstory to bio reprogramming and biohacking where, where did this originate so um more than 35 years ago some doctors in europe and um it started in germany with a doctor and, and and others joined um they realized this they they started to see one in particular started to see well it's interesting some you know m- my clients get a uh, cancer every time they have a big shock is there a connection and so they started to um, check in hospitals the stories of people prior to triggering an illness, and all of them had a shock that corresponded to that illness. Uh, someone who has ovarian cancer had a loss. So uh, symbolically, ovarian cancer represents recreating a new offspring. I lost my child. I'm creating a new child. You know. Um, so someone who had MS had a, a conflict about movement. Movement is dangerous. So now I'm paralyzed. Uh, so this movement started a long time ago. It, it was really hidden for a long time. And then um, it started to surface, but it surfaced in a way that you could make the connection between what illness and what conflict in a very precise way. But there were no solutions. What do we do? Uh, like today you asked me about reframing and it's the most important part. Yes, I can understand why I'm sick, but what do I do? What can I change? So now I have to go back to the sequence that triggered my illness. My perception at the time, a year ago, six months ago, I don't know, maybe five years ago. And then I need to change my perception. If I don't change my perception, then my chances of getting better are slim. So reprogramming means I'm going to change my perception. And I know that you you studied psychology and, and, and you know the importance of that. Um, so when I created bio reprogramming, um, there's a lot of neurolinguistic programming in the work I do, which is really a, a key tool, and there are many other tools, but it's a key tool in changing perceptions. So the reprogramming part is I change my perception so that my bio, my biology, my biology changes. And that's where it's coming from. Yeah, because when you talked about reframing, what it what it sound like, because I remember I was sick for a, a, a while and there was a bunch of phlegm coming up. So instead of saying I'm sick, I would say my body is expelling that which does not serve it. 
Would that be a, a way of reframing it? That, that's that's part of it. That's um, at the level of influencing your brain to stop doing what it's doing. Uh, I, but you also need to remember your brain wants you to understand what conflict triggered it. So if phlegm comes out of your throat, um, I'm guessing, right? Um, so you you there there's some you have to go to. There was a time when this was not a, present in my life, and now it's present. So there is a before and there is an after. Right before I started to have phlegm. What happened in my life related to the throat? So the throat is meant to help me do what? Swallow. Is there something I couldn't swallow? Or is there something chronically that I cannot swallow? Something that I don't say or verbalize? Um, I can't express myself in this situation. I keep it inside my throat. Because if I said it, that would create a conflict, for example. So I have phlegm. Phlegm is the expression of a chronic situation about my throat, me not being able to accept, uh, I mean, to express myself or to swallow something, how I'm talked to or, 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 or something like that. Or I deeply want to verbalize something and I, I can't. And the, you would know what it is if you look at what was the conflict, what was my stress right before this started. Then we would go into the event that you um, connect with where you say, oh, yeah, I remember, you know, that day I, I I couldn't say what I wanted. And since then, I've had this problem. And then we would help you look at the event differently. We would be able to show you another way of perceiving in that moment. You know that there's no difference between past, present and future. So if I go two months ago and look at a story, it's as though I'm looking at it today and it's still alive today. And so we would give resources to your younger self, two months ago, your younger self, and say, hey, how about, um, you know, looking at a different perspective here? And that's the reframing part. I'm reframing and put, I'm putting in a different frame so that now the conflict does not exist. And then the subconscious records, oh, there's a solution to this. So, um, you know, using the throat to express a solution is no longer necessary because now uh, Leo has a solution in, in his mind. So then the illness goes away. Now, if it's gone, it means that actually you resolved it without realizing it because your environment changed in some ways related to that conflict. And sometimes we need to um, go look into uh, what was the event connected to it. That's so powerful. A friend of mine said the same thing to me when I expressed to him uh, how because I had been getting sick very often and coming from the throat. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I read your book, and then I started reading more about biohacking. And I was like, oh, this is a thing. This whole, like, you know, event triggering an illness in a part of the body and then it expressing itself and a need to go back and reframe it. You mentioned that there's no difference between past, present, and future. Can you expound on that for the listeners, please, and for myself? Yes. Uh, so your subconscious mind, okay, let's start first with the conscious mind. Your conscious mind can go in the past and you can think about memories of your childhood or anything you want. What you did yesterday, it's possible. You can go in the future and imagine what you'd like to do next weekend. You can imagine 10 years from now where you want to be. But your subconscious cannot do that because what would happen if it did that? It would be, it would put us in danger. It needs to be in the present time, constantly, 
to make sure that it keeps us alive. It cannot be distracted with past or future. So it only operates in the present. So it's so interesting. Consciously, I can go all over the place within seconds and travel in the past and the future and the present. Unconsciously, I'm in the present, only in the present. Now, everything that is recorded, my unconscious mind thinks it's happening now. I know that's an incredible concept. Your childhood is now. Everything that happened in your past is happening now. Um, the memory is now. It's all available because it contains billions of bits of data. And it doesn't matter. So the organization of time does not exist in the unconscious mind. So if I want to address a story that happened to you when you were seven, your unconscious is going to help your younger self through the reframing with some work we can do, but it's going to think it's happening now. So the healing is happening now. And that's the beauty of it, because that's how people can solve a story of their future. It can be a shock, an abuse story, anything. Uh, in the past, I mean, it can it can resolve something in the past and your brain generalizes the solution to all parts of your timeline. Because for the subconscious, it's happening now. And that's how there's no difference between past, present and future for the subconscious mind. Yeah, you mentioned abuse, and I would imagine you've had some clients who've had a history of trauma childhood sexual trauma and you know feeling like they were powerless in a situation and just maybe even feeling hopeless about their future being able to get over it when you have them go back and reframe and and find solutions to it what does that look like for someone dealing with sexual childhood trauma yes so that that's a very difficult one and um I know that um, you know you talk about societal, and actually that's that is something that can lead someone to have such despair um, because something like that happened to them that they think they shouldn't be here because they went through that. So we go back in time and we look at what happened. A lot of people think, oh, I dealt with it, but not really, um, because I always found this thing where. People forget to realize, okay, I, I had to I had to experience the story with someone who was a predator, someone who lacked consciousness, and they were able to abuse me that way. But what do I do with that? Um, are they a bad person? Um, what what do I do with them? How can I forgive them? I can say I want to forgive them, but do I do I really forgive them? So what I use for that is. Um, I look at it as throughout evolution, uh, first was the mineral stage, right? Only rocks on the planet. And we learned how to adapt. Um, in, you know, we were still, we, we carry the memory of this time in our DNA. And then came uh, what I called, what we call the vegetal stage, only plants on the planet. And we learned flexibility, adaptation. You never saw a tree push against the rain. It, it bends. And then comes the animal stage. We learn our territory. We want to keep our territory. There is a lack of consciousness. Um, animals don't have regrets. Uh, if they have to kill to eat, 
animals um, mate uh, when they want. So there is this, this animal part. And then comes the level of consciousness with the human. And so we are um, here in evolution, all of us. So the question I ask is, could we say that, that some human are more evolved than others for now, but everybody is going towards the same direction? And so is it possible that in this lifetime, we meet humans that can do things that are so unevolved that they are closer in their ways of being to the animal stage? That's a question, something to think about. So if we look at you know, someone we met or a predator, someone who attacked us that way, we can also look at, well, because I met that person, what, what can I use from that difficult experience to realize in a way um, I became some someone through that. I became maybe stronger. I became more understanding. Maybe I have more empathy. Um, what is it in that that made me who I am today? And can I forgive based on the fact that that person was, um, you know, absolutely not ready, uh, you know, to be at a stage of evolution that matches mine, for example. So um, it's a, it's one way to look at it that can help because when we cannot find a place of forgiveness, uh, that's when we carry something extremely heavy. And we can also be grateful when, when something like that happened in the past that we're still alive. After all, I'm alive. I went through this. It was horrifying. It was terrible. It feels unforgivable, but I'm still alive. So I have purpose. There is a purpose to everything that happens to me. You know, I really love how you frame that in terms of, one, look, realizing that we're not all evolving at the same rate. Some of us are, you know, you know, I don't want to say fully evolved because we're still evolving, but, um, you know, have a higher level of consciousness at the human level. And some of us might be more closer to the, the animal uh, state of evolution where they're mostly, you know, just a uh, limbic system and, and that prefrontal cortex hasn't quite developed. So you really weren't dealing with a, a person or a human. You were dealing more with a bonobo chimp or something. And but also to recognize that that event may have had a purpose for you. I think about Oprah, who was sexually uh, abused as a child and, you know, would not be the Oprah that we have today if that had not happened. And and then you also tie in the piece of gratitude of I'm still alive. So that means that my life has a purpose or or else, uh, you know, you'd be you would have been dead by now. Um, so I, I love those reframes. Thank you. Yes. And, and um, you, you make me think about something. Also, some, some people have an illness. I mean, they're mentally ill. So we, we meet those people that are really disturbed and um, sick. And this means that there was no help for them. There's nothing we can do about it, right? Some people are so um, deeply mentally disturbed because of what happened to them, too. So that there's a chain here um, that I believe our evolution will help us overcome all of us in the universe as a whole, as we go towards something uh, bigger, more spiritual, more conscious. Um, and, and we'll have, of course, to learn 
um, more and more. But the illness factor is also important to to take in consideration. Yeah, that that's a, a beautiful way of finding compassion for yourself um, and for other people just in general. And and so to to recognize that. People are going through things that we can't see. It's not like, you know, missing a leg or an arm where we go, okay, that person needs help. We can't see, you know, uh, mental illness, <clears throat> at least not yet. I'm, I'm sure there'll be an app or some AI thing that comes out where we'll be able to see that. Um, Isabel, for you, what was the, I imagine there was a question or an answer or, or not an answer, but a problem that you were trying to solve that even got you into this work? This is so specific. Was there, how, why is this so meaningful to you? Yes, thank you for asking this question. Um, very true. So years ago, I was um, helping a loved one who was diagnosed with um, stage four lung cancer. And uh, that person was not offered any solution from the medical field. And intuitively, I knew that there was something to look for. And I started to search. And you know how the universe is very well made. Um, I didn't find anything on the internet. I didn't find anything when I called several doctors, you know, in the world to find a solution for that. But I told a friend on the phone one day, I said, you know, I'm going through something difficult. I'm, um, I cannot tell you um, what's going on right now. Um, maybe one day and I, I'm, I cannot talk to you right now. I'm, I'm very worried. And three days later, he called me and he said, you know, Isabel, I was um, at a terrace in a cafe in Paris and two women next to me were talking. And they were talking about a new method, a new way of looking at illness. And I really don't know if that matches your problem, but something said to me to ask them what that was. And he had the name and the phone number of someone who knew about that. And he gave it to me. And, uh, and that's how I started my journey um, in discovering all of this. And it was so fascinating um, that I was almost studying day and night to figure this out. And I started to help my family. I started to help myself. Um, it's not just about illness. It's actually about our life challenges. We attract situations that are based on programs as well, not just illnesses. Um, and my journey started um, this way. And since then, I've just been fascinated. I've helped, you know, many people all over the world. Um, and it's been really um, wonderful, you know, to, to see the transformation that can happen in people's life. I mean, let's say if someone um, cannot create a nest or have a baby, there's a story behind it. If someone cannot make money, there's a story behind it. There's a program behind it. It can be transgenerational, it can be gestational because it belongs to the parents, because everything is transmitted unconsciously and through um, the cells, the DNA, from one generation to the next. And so when you when you start learning this, you can actually change your life and you realize, wow, it's not just positive thinking that I can do, which can be helpful, but it's, you know, I can find the root of this and I can get rid of it and put something instead and program something instead. So that's how uh, this happened for me. Uh, that's beautiful. And and I want to, and and please correct me if, I, if I'm wrong, you know, even though we're talking about 
reframing, discovering a new meaning, uh, you know, looking at is it true, the distortions, the perceptions, uh, really, you know, delving deep into the mind and the emotions of it all. Uh, is this, are, are you suggesting that biohacking and bioreprogramming is a substitute for going to see a doctor or taking prescription meds? No, it's never a substitute um, because <laughs> it's it's interesting. You, you can do you can do the meds. It won't stop you from healing if you resolve your conflict. <laughs> That's the best way I can I can say it. I mean, of course, you do what your doctor says. Uh, we need doctors. Um, you know how powerful they can be, especially in a situation of emergency. Um, we never tell any, anyone what to do that way. We, we don't even touch that area. We encourage them to continue what they have to do, but we offer something that's uh, implementing. And um, this, you know, there's always, um, of course, a benefit if you're going to go look at your conflict, right? And you're going to have a nice surprise if you can resolve your conflict. Uh, and there's no competition. So sure, we need the doctors. Absolutely. I would never tell someone not to go to their doctors. But at the same time, there's a whole world that's now opening about um, the origin of our challenges and health issues. And, and when we look at that, um, not only can we reverse an illness, but we can also grow, um, evolve. Our illnesses are here to make us grow and evolve. And then we can look at um, generations before us. We can look at our ancestors and all the things that we change that, um, you know, would have helped them at the time, it's also a benefit for the entire clan, the entire family tree. Speaking of family tree, growing up in the house that you grew up in, did you feel like your, it, your parents were adept at resolving conflict? Oh, that's a good question. No, they were not good at that. <laughs> I don't think they were good at that. Uh, we they loved each other, um, but um, you know there were definitely some some conflicts at home. And uh, you're right when you're asking me this question because um, I was a peacemaker, so I was I was already as a child finding ways to make them look at things differently. Um, I wanted to do that, so I think that of course helped me in my future uh, when I wanted to help people. So, yeah, there was uh, definitely a, a beginning for me um, as a helper, um, a, you know, a, a home therapist <laughs> starting a long time ago. <laughs> and being a peacemaker, you know, that's a, I, I'm assuming just it's just a part of who you are, it sounds like. What's the challenge for you personally with being a peacemaker? And, and I'm asking. um Meaning that, you know, I feel like there's a yin-yang to everything where if I do too much of this, it leads into that. Or if I don't do enough of that, it leads into this. Uh, how do you set boundaries around being a peacemaker so that you're not taken advantage of or overexhausting yourself? Yes, that's a, that's a good question. So as a peacemaker, I think we have a tendency to be uh, overly empathetic. So... It would be that uh, we have a tendency to put ourselves in the shoes of the other person and understand them so well that maybe uh, we don't create enough boundaries. Um, so I learned that over the years. 
that um, there's a notion of also having discernment and um, a limit. So it's it's offering a possibility, giving a potential, um, being there and empathetic. But if it's not received by your environment or understood very well, then of course you 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 keep good boundaries because, like you said, you don't want to be taken advantage of. So at first you you're open, you give it all, and then um, you see if it's the right thing to do. You see who you're dealing with, and then the discernment comes in to help you manage how much you know how much of that you can continue to do. That's the best way I could explain it. I love that. Isabel, is there anything that we haven't discussed that you think would be of benefit to my listeners who might be thinking about ending their life or in a state of despair or like the, you know, things will only get worse tomorrow? Yes, I would say, um, look if the despair belongs to your mother or your father and not you. That's a very powerful way of looking at things. You can go back in time, and if you have some information, most of the time we we do. Was mom was mom happy when she was pregnant with you? Was it well received by dad? Was mom happy when she got married, um, and um, and discovered how dad was with her? Was was dad happy at the early stages of um, you know your time on the planet? We start our time on the planet in the womb, so it's minus nine months. And then if you realize, wow, my mom was miserable and she's the one who was, you know, had despair or my dad was miserable, do a symbolic act and go, okay, I'm going to explain to my brain that this actually does not belong to me. It's my mom that was very sad or melancholic or felt alone or abandoned or betrayed. It's not me. I no longer need to carry this program for her or for my dad, if that happened to my dad. Um, That's you know, important to look at the origin of things. And then I give you that example in case you were not wanted, take it to a higher level. Actually, I decide that I have purpose, whether or not my parents wanted me. So that would be a very good way to start investigating your story and why you feel the way you feel. Um, also, despair is coming from, a, you know, deep depression. Uh, and depression is coming from, you know, times where we compare ourselves Uh, We don't feel that we're good enough in comparison to others. Remove the comparison um, um, element and think of yourself as I'm unique. I'm me. What are my qualities? I don't need to be like others. And maybe if today I haven't succeeded and I'm 40 and all my friends have everything they want, it doesn't mean that in five years the roles won't be reversed. So I changed my belief system. So those are a few ideas for your listeners if um, if they like it. Yeah, I love this idea of, you know, there is that quote of compare and despair. And originally I had always thought of it as comparing myself to others. But last night, me and my girlfriend, Michelle, we were watching Whitney Houston's, uh, the not documentary, but it was a biopic about her on Netflix. Mm-hmm. And she was comparing herself to her performances from 20, like 10 or 20 years earlier. And that caused her despair. Is there harm in comparing ourselves to our past selves also? Yes, I think it's a very good point because, you know, when we do that, it creates low self-esteem. It means I'm no longer what I used to be. 
And it means I don't accept who I am today. It can also mean I don't think I can grow from where I am anymore. I don't know how to reinvent myself. So there's no future. And despair comes when there's no future. The moment I start looking back behind me, I'm I'm depressed because I look at the traces that I left behind and, and I don't look at what I can create in my future. So that's a very good point, uh, that story about Whitney Houston, because um, it is the cause of depression and despair. It's when I, I don't know, I, I don't see my future. Wow, that is powerful. I do a thing every night where I ask myself, what am I looking forward to? Because in my depressed, inflamed brain, it, it's something that I don't practice very well. I'm so caught up in the fight, flight, and freeze of it all that um, I have to intentionally ask myself, what am I looking forward to to remind myself that there is something to look forward to? And part of that is looking back at my former self, my former life, and um, despairing over that. So uh, thank you for reaffirming the importance of, you know, looking at where I am now, how can I grow from here, and what do I have to look forward to? Yes, yes, thank you. Uh, last question, Isabel, and I ask this of all my question uh, of all my guests, because I always imagine there's one person listening in who may be on the precipice of wanting to end their life. Before you kill yourself, what would you say to them, Isabel? Wait a moment. Because your emotion will change. Emotions cannot stay at the same place all the time. They vary. So we say change is inevitable, right? So wait a moment, because you will not feel that way if you wait. So wait a moment. Until it changes, it will change. Thank you so much, Isabel. Thank you so much, listeners, for tuning in. Remember, this podcast is not a substitute for you calling to get help. Call the 988 or any of the international phone numbers that are listed in each and every single one of the show notes. You can call, you, you can, call, you can chat, you can text. You can go to thrivewiththeleo.com for one-on-one coaching with yours truly. Uh, make sure you pick up the book, The Bio Breakthrough, Decode Your Illness and Heal Your Life from Isabel Benedos. Uh, and let's get to tomorrow together. Thank you so much, Isabel. Thank you, Leo.